0: Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14 says this, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Ever shout milk? Come on, ever shout milk? You need milk, not solid food or, or meat, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This morning as we continue on in our series, Meat Eaters, I want to speak to you from the subject, Keep It On Green, as we look at how we mature. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for what you're doing in our city. God, this morning I want to pray for every single local church across this valley, who this morning is lifting up your name in worship and diving into your word this morning. God, I pray that you would bless them exceedingly and abundantly, but what they could ever ask or hope or imagine, God. I pray this weekend your name would be lifted high all across this valley, that lives would be touched and transformed and changed. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I thank you that you are writing a story that's bigger than all of us, to which your name is being glorified. Pray that you'd bless our time this morning together in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. I don't know how many of you have ever been to an all-you-can-eat meat place. Come on, show of hands. Texas Day Brazil, Rodizio Grill. When I lived in Phoenix, there was a place called Fogo de Chow. Come on, show of hands. Just one more time. How all-you-can-eat meat. How many of you love this place? Like, like I, I'm a fan. When I, when I walk in, I automatically get the meat sweats. Like, before I even start, I am fired up. Like, I love all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouses. I had a buddy um, probably a couple months ago. And I usually only go there for special occasions. It's not like we eat out like that all the time or anything like that. But I had a buddy. He's like, "Hey, I want to meet with you and have a you know have a conversation." I was like, "Why well, do coffee? I love coffee." And he's like, "Well, can I take you to uh, can I take you to a Brazilian steakhouse?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, absolutely. We can we can do that." And he's like, "It's all me." So I was like, "Well, sweet." So we went and I had lunch and I couldn't eat the rest of the day because. I went and had lunch at the Brazilian steakhouse, and you guys, if you've ever been there, you walk in, and they've got the, uh, the, the bar in the middle, which has what I call all the fillers, and they try to send you to the bar, right? They try to send you to that so you fill up on salad and cheese and all kinds of, like, they've got other meats and crackers and, and olives and peppers, and they try to send you there so that you won't eat all of their meat, right? Right? And so the lady comes to us and she's like, hey, can you, uh, the bar's right over there, you can go get all your appetizers and everything like that. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing appetizers, bring me the meat. (laughs) Straight up. And I've, I've done this before, I know the routine. So right there, she's like, hey, you can go get a salad and everything like that. I took the card and I flipped it to green. You know that card that's right there? It's the green card and the red card. One side's green, one side's red. One side means go, one side means stop. And I keep it on green the entire time, right? If you know what a Brazilian steakhouse is about, you keep that thing on green. And so she'd come back over and she's like, "You sure you want some?" And I'll, it's on green. Keep the meat coming. What I love about it, it's the only place that you can go into a restaurant and it's legal to have swords, okay? Whose dream is not to step into a building with meat on swords? I mean, it is the best thing on the planet. And she, at a certain point, these waiters are coming by and they're circulating. And if you've been there, they keep on coming by with different meats and, and, and different things like that. And they come by and the guy's like, do you want some of this pineapple? And I looked at him. <laughs> Does the green meat pineapple, sir? No, it means meat. Please leave the table and bring the meat. And so we kept on going. And I left that place. I couldn't eat for the rest of the day. Why? Because we had consumed our body weight in meat. Keep it on green. I don't think we put it on red, right? It's not legal to put it on red inside of a Brazilian steakhouse. And this is what the book of Hebrews really is all about. The writer of Hebrews—it's his attempt to say, "Come on, you got to keep your life on green. You got to keep pursuing maturity. You got to keep on pursuing this solid food. Don't go back to milk. Don't go back to non-solid food. We've got to keep on progressing. We've got to keep on building. We got to keep on growing ourselves into maturity. You ever shot maturity? Maturity. Maturity. And this is—you got to keep your life on green." The problem is, is for some of us, many of us at certain points, we have a tendency and, and, and really the temptation to flip our life card over to red, to stop growing, to stop pursuing, to stop persisting, to stop seeking God for growth in our lives. And we talked a little bit about why we do that last week. And this week, I want to take the time to look at how we actually mature. Somebody came up to me after the service last week, and they're like, okay, I got this. Now, but the question is how? How many of you are how people? I need to know how. I need, I need the points on, on how. We're going to deal with that uh, this morning, but I need to work through some things. Because if we don't understand really the entirety of the book of Hebrews, which I'm going to try to explain in just the next few minutes to get to the point, which is going to be a sheer impossibility unless I talk this fast the whole time. Okay? I need you to understand the book of Hebrews. Because it's a really important book, and, and, and I want to I submit to you this morning... That this piece of scripture, Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14, is the central theme to this entire letter. Okay? And everything else surrounding it helps build the case that the writer of Hebrews needed to build in order to get these, the recipients of this letter to mature, to grow, to buy into this idea that we need to grow. So this morning, let's, let's do some biblical reconnaissance, if you will, before we get to our, our practical points this morning. This letter to the Hebrews was written to encourage these Christians in a time of trial and frustration. It does this a couple of ways. The first way it does this is by focusing on the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. In other words, you and I only truly find what we need when we find ourselves in a relationship with God. Jesus, this is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, then would go on by focusing on the accomplished and complete work of salvation for all who trust in Jesus. We don't need to fear losing our salvation. We find this highlighted throughout chapters 1 through to 10 and in Hebrew, uh, throughout Hebrews. But listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In other words, there's this this complete and total work that's been done in and through God's purposeful plan of Jesus and the helper of the Holy Spirit that we have when Jesus ascended into heaven. We find that in the beginning part of Acts. In other words, we should not neglect this great salvation. Rather, in our faith and in our everyday living, we should imitate the example of Jesus and all the great fathers of faith. Now, there's this word throughout the book of Hebrews that's used. It's the word better. Come on, shout Better. Better. It's used 13 times in this book as the writer shows the superiority of Jesus and his salvation over the Old Testament covenant law and works. In other words, the writer of Hebrews pretty much says, look it, God's bigger and better than everything. Jesus is the man. That's really the premise. Jesus is the man. And so we find this word better over 13 times throughout the course of Hebrews. Jesus is better than the angels. There were some people that had a tendency to worship angels or think that they were the highest thing in God's kingdom. But Jesus is better than the angels, Hebrews chapter uh, 1 verse 4. Jesus brought in a better hope, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 19. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. All of these to prove that Jesus is better. These people were in a bind. On one hand, they knew Jesus, but they were tempted and ready to go back to the old life. They were tempted to turn their card over. They were tempted to flip it to red. The writer's saying, no, keep it on green. Keep it on green. Let's keep on going. They become so frustrated with life and, and its situations that they'd come to a place of just wanting to give up. Come on, have you ever been there before? You ever been in a place where you just want to give up on faith, you want to give up on life, you want to give up on relationships, you just want to sit and do nothing? I just want to stop. This this is ridiculous. Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to deal with this? And the writer of Hebrews is saying, come on, let's keep it on green. See, how many have been there at one point or another? Believing that living as a Christ follower, you were supposed to enter into this victorious life, but yet not seeing it and not feeling it. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. And so you and I, much like these past Christians, are now tempted to give up and draw back into an old way of living. It's easier to go back than it is to move forward. I think we've all been there. But like the writer, I'm here to remind us this morning that Jesus is better. That what we have in Jesus is better. That his grace is it's better. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't conjure it up. It's been freely given, and we receive it when we learn to submit our lives to Jesus. Why? Because it's better. Come over to your neighbor this morning and say, it's better. It's better. And I know a lot of people that try to go back. We do it all the time. We hear grace, we hear about grace, we hear about grace, and we hear that this, it's this amazing life that we have in Jesus, but how many of us are tempted to go back and start trying to earn once again what Jesus free, freely gave? We can't do that. Why? Because it's better. It's bigger than. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. Another area of better is Jesus established better promises. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, if you're taking notes this morning. Another word that we find in this amazing letter to the Hebrews is the word perfect. In the original Greek, it's used 14 times. It means perfect standing before God. This perfection can never be accomplished by anything the people reading this letter could do. You and I can't produce this perfection. No amount of sacrifice, good deeds, appropriate behavior, nothing. But it's highlighted that in Jesus we have perfect standing before him because of what he accomplished on the cross. Why? Because he's better than Better than. See, what the writer of Hebrews wanted us to understand is that Jesus gave Himself as one offering for sin, and by this He's perfected forever them that are sanctified or find themselves in relationship with Him. In other words, those who call upon Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. What we are looking at is a breakdown of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. This showdown, this ring fight between these two covenants where before it was built on sacrifices, it was built on what they could do and what they could accomplish, but here now, because of Jesus, a better hope, a perfect hope, a better Savior came. His name was Jesus and placing his life upon the cross, dying, being buried, rising again, defeating death, hell, and the grave. We have a perfect Savior who's given us a better everything. Why does the writer want us to know this? Because he's trying to get us to make sure that we don't flip the card to red. He's saying, keep keep it on green, guys. Keep eating the meat. I know it's hard sometimes. I know your jaw might get tired. I know you may feel full, but come on, keep it on green. Why? Because it's better. Who eats pineapple? I want the meat. Even when they try to slip chicken in there, I want the meat. (laughs) I don't want a chicken leg. I want steak. Brazilian steakhouse, not Brazilian chicken thigh house. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. Jesus' death obtained eternal redemption. Jesus gives the promise of eternal inheritance. Jesus' lordship is eternal. Do you see the case it's building here? Jesus is awesome. Jesus is the best. Then he culminates and he says this, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 8. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, watch this, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And there you have the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Nothing is going to change. Why? So that we can keep it on green. That we can keep on going. So the question then becomes this. It's with all of this that these followers of Jesus are instructed to mature. So the writer writes all this stuff to point back to this area. Keep it on green. Let's keep going. Let's grow. let's, Let's mature. To grow up into all that Jesus has provided for them. To not look back or be concerned with the former life they once lived. That literally a life with Jesus is the greatest life possible. And when we mature or grow into all that He has provided, it is a life like no other. Is it a life that will be without circumstance? No, absolutely not. Is it a life that will be without pain? No, absolutely not. Is it a life that won't be without pushback and trials and temptations? No, absolutely not. But because Jesus is better, because He's the author and the perfecter of my faith, because He does change he's the same yesterday today and forever because of all of those things i can keep it on green and i can keep on stepping into everything that he has for me jesus is better jesus is better so with all that said the question then is how how do we do that how do we keep it on green how do we keep on maturing how do we actually mature what are some of the the decisions and choices that we need to make in order to do this the question is how How do we begin the process maturing? I want to take a look at three things that we must do this morning with the remainder of our time. Come on, every shout number one for me. Number one, the first thing that we must do is we must develop a pattern of preparation. We must develop a pattern of preparation. See, the process of maturity in our lives takes place when we shift from doing life by the seat of our pants to developing a pattern of preparation in our lives, come on. How many of you just has as a tendency, as a natural disposition, you are a prepared person, like you are ready for a zombie apocalypse already. All right? Few of us. Okay, awesome in the back. <laughs> but for the most part, from I think the general population of people, we're not necessarily the type of people that prepare all the time. I am definitely not a prepared person, right? I am a I'm a person that has to discipline preparedness. All right. When, when, when I go camping, I forgot all kinds of different things. When I take my children out, I, ha- I forget all kinds of different things. We're getting ready to have a, a baby in August. And I fear that moment once again, because I'm like, can my third one live through me? Is <laughs> it possible? Right? Why? Because I'm not a prepared person. I have to, I have to discipline. i got to need people that have to discipline themselves for preparation, right? you got to really focus and think about this. We're, uh, after this service, my, my mom's in town. My beautiful mom's in town. I love you. And uh, I'm a product of her prayer, as simple as that. Because <laughs> she was like, this kid's going to die. So, um, But uh, she's in town, and, and we're heading out to Moab uh, after for just a quick couple days to, to hang out with, uh, with family and take my mom to, to Moab. And, and this morning, you could see a product of our preparation because our living room was stacked. It looks like we're about to travel for two and a half weeks. That's what it looks like right now. Because our preparation simply looks like this. Grab everything that we can get into bags, right? Shove it, and hopefully we haven't forgot something, right? Preparation's not my natural disposition. And for most of us, it, it's just not, but this is what I want you to hear. Seasons of preparation are what give you access to seasons of destination, Seasons of preparation are what give you access to seasons of destination. And so the, the idea of maturing is actually become people who are prepared. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you guys are going to face trials. You're going to face temptation. You're going to face pushback in the world that we live in. But if we can prepare our hearts accordingly, if we can pre- prepare our minds accordingly, then no matter what comes our way, we can be the type of people that keep it on green. We don't back up. We don't back down. We can keep on going. Seasons of preparation are what give you access to seasons of destination. We find this in 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 34 through 36. If you haven't read the Bible too much, there's this story in 1 Samuel about a man named David, eventually would become King David. King David was this young man who was anointed at a very young age, the Bible tells us that a prophet came to his father, Jesse, looked at all of his brothers and, and, and thought, surely these guys who are, are, who are warriors and, and they're rugged and, and everything like that, they're the ones that are chosen to be the next king. And God says, no, 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 I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the, the heart, which is a good thing for some of us to hear this morning because we look at ourselves sometimes and we think that nothing's possible, but I want you to know that God sees your heart and what's in your heart determines what God is going to do in and through your life. You may not have had the best upbringing. You may not have had the best things going your way. But come on, God looks at the inside. And so the prophet anoints Samuel, or excuse me, the prophet anoints David and says, look, this is going to be the future king. But it's not until his 30s that David would take the throne. There's some time in between. And the scripture that we're about to read tells us about the time in between, but more specifically, as David finds himself on a battlefield with this guy named Goliath. How many of you have heard this story before or seen it on flannel graph? Okay, <laughs> just making sure. <laughs> Some of you are like, what's flannel graph? Oh, we're going to bring that stuff back. <laughs> it's awesome, right? <laughs> Church gone hipster. Um, so, David finds himself before the king and before his brothers, and as he's standing there looking at this entire army who's been scared off by this giant, he says, wait a second, what's going on? How come you guys aren't fighting the giant over here? How come you're not running down there right now? He's defying the armies of the living God. Why would you not get down there and have, have a go? They were all scared of him. They were all fearful of Goliath. So David says, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to take this guy out. If God's with me. Who can be against me? I'm going to go do this. So the king's like, you're out of your mind. Here, take my armor. And he's like, no, he puts it on. It's like fat guy in a little coat. And he's like, I can't do this. And so he takes the armor off. And he says, I'm just going to go down there with my slingshot and some rocks. But this is how he says it to the king. Listen to this. 1 Samuel chapter 17, 34 through 36. I love this. This is the, this is the best. This is a mic drop scenario. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear... And took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Get the mental picture of that. That's awesome day right there. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David was prepared to fight a giant because he had taken on lions and bears. Preparation always leads to destination. And some of us are wanting to run into everything that God has for us, but we're not preparing ourselves for the destination that he has. You see, without the lion and the bear, David would have never been equipped for the giant. And it's amazing to me how many people want to or expect to step into a season of destination, yet they've not done one ounce of preparation. See, the destiny that God has for your life is the greatest place that you can progress forward into and step into. But we got to spend time preparing for it. That is maturity. Maturity is the ability to prepare. If you're looking for the how in maturing, we've got to say, man, my life has got to be preparation. If I'm going to keep my card on green, I've got to start preparing for what life has for me. The destinations of life that we step into are only as good as the preparation that we give ourselves to. Can I talk to all the singles in the house this morning? They're very quiet. Maybe they'll be in our 11 a.m. service. (laughs) For all the singles in here, can I plead with you to hear me this weekend? Don't spend your tri- time trying to be what you think he or she wants you to be. Spend your time becoming who God has called you to be, and your season of destination will come at the right time. It's about preparation. Here's the big question How could you start preparing for today? How could you start preparing today? In what ways could you start preparing in order to step into a season of destination? Maturity in our lives takes place when we learn how to give ourselves over to the process of preparation. I remember when we first got pregnant, well, I wasn't pregnant, she was pregnant. When she first got pregnant with our little boy, and uh, I was freaking out being a dad. Dad, you know what I'm talking about. Like that first moment, like it's just like what? I liked the process leading up to it, but now what do I do? <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> What'd you learn this morning? Don't even worry about it. <laughs> so she's pregnant. And we're having a little boy and, and and I thought like through my life and I'm like, am I even equipped? to be a dad, for that matter, a good dad, and so me, the only way, by discipline of destiny, like knowing that this is going to be my destination, I start consuming books, right, I'm reading books, not all the way through some of these books because they scared me, but all the same, I still read through the books, Raising Boys by, by Dr. James Dobson, I don't know if you've ever read through that thing, I didn't get past the first four pages, I was scared to death, and so I was like, no, nope, I'm not reading that one, and so, But I had to do everything I could do to consume what I needed in order to prepare to be what God was calling me to be, a a dad. And look, by no means am I a perfect father. I'm I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm nowhere near perfect, actually. But I at least could step into a situation somewhat prepared. Does it balance itself out all the time? No. It's not that you know anything. It's that God anoints your desire to prepare. Did you hear that this morning? See, God looks down on a heart of uh, of desire and discipline. Not what you are able to do on the outside, but rather what's going on. My desire is to be the best father, the best husband, the best leader that I could possibly be. And in order to do that, I do everything in my power to become that. But I'm not perfect at it. But God lays upon every single one of us an anointing based upon the character that we're giving him to anoint. But a lot of us just expect to do it like this, like, hey God, I'm not gonna prepare, but please give me everything that you have for me. How are we going to be good stewards of that? So we've got to prepare. What's the deal? We must develop a pattern of preparation in our lives. Number two, every shot. Number two, we must establish a cadence of continuance. We must establish a cadence of continuance. What do I mean by that? One of the central themes in this letter is the issue of continuing on or perseverance. Not giving up when things get tough. In other words, we have, we have to develop a cadence of continuance in our life. Literally establishing a rhythm, a beat, a flow, and measure of continuation in our lives. Think about your life as a symphony. That's literally what we're talking about that there's this cadence to our life, this, cadence, this flow, this rhythm to our life and saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna develop this flow and this rhythm in continuing to move forward. It's This is beautiful dance that we develop in our lives with God based upon his grace in our lives. See, the recipients of this letter are what we know as second generation believers. These guys had the gospel shared with them by the very people who had known Jesus during his personal ministry. These guys were being persecuted for their faith. They were having to deal with and were being seduced by false doctrines and and teachers, not to mention the fact that they were dealing with everyday life. Many of them were impoverished, dealing with lack and wondering when something was going to change. You ever been there before? You ever been in that moment of life when you're like, when is this going to change? When when is this going to start over? When are we going to not have to deal with this? Anymore. And because of all of these things, they were in danger of forgetting the original word that their first leaders had taught to them. The Bible commentary adds this about these people. The tragic thing about these believers is that they were at a standstill spiritually and in danger of going backwards. Some of them have even forsaken the regular worship services and were not making spiritual progress. In the Christian life, if you do not go forward, you go backward. There is no permanent standing still. There's no permanent standing still. One of the greatest ways that we can develop this cadence in our lives is learn to trust wisdom instead of feelings. Uh Uh-oh, I'm stepping on toes now. We have to learn how to trust wisdom instead of feelings. Pastor Mike, will you hop up here, bud? Really quick. He didn't know I was going to do this, so I like to use him all the time for these things. (laughs) Listen to this. Feelings alert, but wisdom should lead. Many of us have this equation wrong in our lives. We allow our feelings to lead, and unfortunately, we never make much space for wisdom. Wisdom. All right, I want to highlight it this way. Guys, do you have control of these lights back here, these lamps? Can you dim them up, dim them down for me? Like all the way down? Perfect. Thank you. Leave them off for a second. So I'm wandering life, I'm going through life, I've got things going on in my life, I'm dealing with stuff, I'm dealing with my marriage, I'm dealing with the things that God has put in my life. And all of a sudden, in life, come on, how many of you know I have feelings that light up? You can light these up now, right? I've got feelings that light up in me. Oh, we separated them, awesome, cool. Technologically advanced around here. So my feelings light up, but how many of you know as quick as your feelings light up, they can go away? Why we pay you guys the big big bucks back there? So I'm doing life again, and I'm going through my things, and and, and all of a sudden, what happens? My feelings light up. Got these feelings. But how? I got a lot of feelings. These were my feelings when I met Erica, right? They they lit up. Then how many of you know that your feelings can there's say, they go away, and they light up, and they go away. They light up, and they go away. No. Those are our feelings. Le- leave those lit up for a second for me, guys. But how many of you know that in life there's also wisdom? <laughs> well, I just got all emotional in here this morning. <clears throat> wisdom, all right? Mike loves books, fair? Yeah. yeah, I've known Mike for a really long time, and he, he loves books. Now, Mike is m- less emotional, at least in our relationship, and I think in general in life. He is a less emotional person, right? He's emotionless. okay? I have a tendency to be very emotional. (laughs) Be quiet. (laughs) So it's not uncommon for me when my feelings are lit up about something that I then go to Mike who has less feelings, who reads a lot of books and has a, a lot of understanding in things for what? Wisdom. Because he's not looking at the feelings of it, he's looking at the wisdom of it. So sometimes I'll have a conversation or something might not be going good, and you can ask Mike. I come to Mike for advice on things because he's a trusted friend and confidant, and I know that he's got some wisdom in his life because he's read some things, especially the Bible. And so what happens is that when my feelings are all lit up about something, I at least have gathered this cadence in my life of continuance, knowing I can't continue forward based upon my feelings. I need some wisdom. Stay up here for a second, because I might, I might use you again, all right? I want, I want you to listen to this. See, God has designed us to experience emotion and feelings, and they are there for a purpose. They're, they're there for a reason. We're not saying ignore your feelings, They are there to alert or bring attention to things that are going on in our lives that we need to be aware of. However, that is the length of their responsibility in our lives. Wisdom, on the other hand, is what God provides through multiple avenues, but most importantly his word to help us navigate what our feelings and our emotions have made us aware of. But a lot of us have a tendency to listen to our emotions and allow them to speak to our life. So we follow our feelings instead of following wisdom, when we should allow our feelings to alert us, right, but then wisdom to lead us. Come on, am I talking to anybody in here this morning? Listen to what the Bible says about wisdom, really fast. Proverbs chapter 3, 13 through 14. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get it, and whatever you get to get it, get insight. Proverbs eleven fourteen: 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs twelve fifteen: the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to to advice proverbs fifteen twelve a scoffer does not like reproof he will not go to the wise proverbs fifteen twenty two without counsel plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed proverbs eighteen fifteen an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge proverbs nineteen twenty listen to advice accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future and proverbs will go on and on and on and on about wisdom why because feelings alert but wisdom should lead thanks bud you can go grab your seat the cadence of continuance is this get wisdom if we're going to keep our card on green we got to get wisdom if we're going to keep on pursuing everything that God has for us, we got to get wisdom. If you're going to step into that business venture that God has for you, you got to get wisdom. If you're going to step into that relationship, you got to get wisdom. If we're going to, if we're going to work in our marriages the way that God's called us, we got to get wisdom. Come on, how many of you know that so many things can go awry in our lives when we just simply trust our feelings? But wisdom, on the other hand, is a whole different tool in our hands. The last one is this, the third thing we must do to to keep on going, to pursue everything that God has for us, to mature Right? is we must determine to draw near. We have to establish a pattern of preparation in our lives. Maturity is seen when we learn how to prepare. We have to establish this Cadence of continuance in our life. See, maturity is seen when we can continue no matter what the circumstances. And if you really think through this message this morning, if you go away and you think through this and, and you, you think to yourself, who are the people that I know in my life who are mature? I would bet you money that you would find these things in their life. You would find in their life that they're prepared people, <clears throat> that they just have this grit about them <clears throat> to keep on going, to continue. And the third one is this, we must determine to draw near. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need at the end of the day this is where maturity truly begins it's in drawing near to jesus that we can truly start the process of maturity it's amazing to me how many people still think that perfection is the prerequisite to a personal relationship with jesus So often we find ourselves distanced and marginalized to the corners of life, not because of anything Jesus has done, but because of our own issues with trusting him and with the reality of who we are. That is really the issue. We have a problem with who we are. So we think that he will have a problem with who we are. Can I tell you something this morning? He knows who you are. He's got you pegged. The Bible tells us that He's numbered the hairs on your head. He knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. He knows you. He's got your number. So who convinced us that because we take issue with who we are, that He then takes issue as well? Because the fact of the matter is that in Jesus, all that stuff's erased, it's gone away. So we can draw near. To him, And a lot of us never draw near to God because we are so frustrated with who we are. But the reality is this, is that in who we are, all of our dysfunction, all of our funkiness, all of our weirdness, we can draw near. We can draw near. But some of us don't draw near because we have the adverse going on in our life. We think we are actually got everything together, and so we don't need to draw near. Come on. Two polar opposites. I don't have anything together, so I can't draw near. I got everything together, so I don't need to draw near. But maturity is seen in this. The ability to, no matter what's going on in your life, <clears throat> draw near to God. The great theologian Charles Spurgeon said it like this. The nearer we come to God, the more graciously will he reveal himself to us. When the prodigal comes to his father, his father runs to meet him. When the wandering dove returns to the ark, Noah puts out his hand to pull her in to him. When the tender wife seeks her husband's society, he comes to her on wings of love. Come then, dear friend, let us draw near to God, who so graciously awaits us. Yes, comes to meet us. James. Chapter 4, verse 8 says it like this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The process of maturity in our lives, if we really want to grow, if we really want to mature, is seen in our patterns of preparation, our cadence of continuance, and our ability to draw near to God. Come on, would you stand to your feet?